Hi, I'm Alan Furley, Director and Owner of ISL Recruitment. Now our business is all about people and ambitious tech businesses trust us to help them grow by finding great talent. Personally, I'm passionate about two things, helping scale-ups grow and learning from others. Now our aim with this Scale-Up Diaries content is to share the best bits about people and companies that we admire and respect, helping those of you in the tech startup and scale-up community on your journey by learning from others. So a lot of the talk is gonna be naturally focused on the people within the business, how to attract the best talent, maximize their potential and retain the high performance. So if you're interested in key strategies and lessons learned to help you grow, then the Scale-Up Diaries is definitely something to listen to. Now, my guest today, I'm really pleased to welcome along Ben Brown, Head of Engineering across Europe for Intuit and Equipworks Products. So Ben, welcome along. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me, Alan. It would be um, it would be great to kick things off to get a bit of background on background on you and, and into it, and just so that uh, the people listening and watching can understand a bit more about you. And, uh, and before we dive into the detail and, and ask you some questions, perfect, no problem. Yeah. So uh, as you said, I uh, I head up our uh, engineering teams uh, in our European offices at uh, for Intuit QuickBooks. Um, I've been with Intuit for about the last eighteen months. Prior to that, I've uh, been in other engineering leadership positions in uh, in London. Um, and probably been, you know, probably been in engineering leadership for around about the last eight to ten years. So uh, built up three teams over the past eight to ten years. So this is my third time building a team, and uh, I'm hoping to uh, make not less of the same mistakes you make on those first two times and learn stuff as we go through that third uh, that third phase. Yeah, indeed. There's definitely um, obviously one of the reasons that we're doing stuff like this is so that other people can learn from those mistakes you made. But equally, I'm sure you've uh, you've learned a lot personally on the way to hopefully avoid making the same ones. Um, so in terms of understanding a bit more about Intuit, uh, I know we've spoken you know, over last year, I'm very grateful for having the event at your offices last year for kind of friends and, and clients. Um, it'd be great to expand a bit more where I know you very much, Intuit has a employee first approach. So um, tell us a bit more about that and actually what that means in terms of how you look after the people within the business. Sure, will do. So um, I think probably it's first, worth giving you a bit of a, a bit of a background on on Intuit I guess so you know Intuit is a large American organization we're about 10,000 employees across the globe um, started around 37 years ago um, as a as very much a startup um, and uh, one of our founders a, a guy called Scott Cook still still kind of works on our uh, on our board so we still kind of have that connection to the person who's been there and the DNA that's been there since that last 37 years um, Intuit, you know, started as a, as a very North American-based organization, and we really have two, I guess, big areas of focus. The first one is uh, consumers. So in the U.S. and Canada, we do a lot of consumer tax, where obviously the, uh, you know, the tax regime is very different, and it's up to each, each individual person to be submitting their tax returns each year. Um, but outside of North America, really, the big focus for us is on the small business space, and we, uh, you know, we do that through our product called QuickBooks, which is online accountancy. Um, and we've been doing that for about the last 10 years. Um, moved through that kind of uh, desktop product phase where everybody was installing software on their own machines and then moved to the cloud. And so we're kind of taking everybody through that cloud transition um, and moving everybody into that place where, you know, especially during things like COVID, having that, that cloud access to software has been, you know, something that's, uh, that's kind of essential for, uh, for our companies. Um, to kind of focus in then on, on, on Intuit and people. So, um, you know, Intuit's an organization that prides itself on being extremely people focused. And, you know, I say that um, knowing that some people will say, hey, look, doesn't every organization say that out there? Um, and yes, most of them do. 
Um, I'd say, you know, it's been really refreshing to come into Intuit and really realize that that's, that's kind of what we, you know, we mean that and actually we live, we live up to that. Um, the, way that, the way that Intuit sees this is we, we look at something called our True North Goals. Um, and the True North Goals basically says, you know, em happy employees lead to happy customers, leads to happy shareholders. And, you know, that's often, a, I guess, a, um, a way of thinking that I think has probably become more famous from, from some of the Virgin brand groups in the, in the UK. But it's certainly something that we kind of, um, you know, we kind of do um, throughout everything that we do. And, uh, you know, just an example of that would be a couple of weeks ago, our, uh, our CEO, Susan came to virtually visitors in the UK. Um, and as part of that visit, you know, he probably spent about five or six hours with the business and probably somewhere around four hours of that was skip levels with people. It was town halls with people. And it was really that, that you know, it, it was that people first focus. Um, and then the rest of the time was perhaps spent understanding the business, working with our kind of leadership teams in those areas. So it really is something that's demonstrated from right from the top downwards. And, you know, it's, it's really emphasized that that's the way, you know, that's the way we do business. No, it's great and then there's that kind of that transparency and interaction there particularly i suppose where one of the challenges is you're normally based you know in london an office there part of the european aspects and you've obviously got an american you know origin and clearly that's driving a lot of the strategy i guess you know having that interaction between the leadership there versus here to make sure it's not too much of us and them must be a big part of making sure that everybody feels involved and, and feels part of that journey um, yeah if you if you look at how you um, you personally lead your team then just kind of building on that to make sure you've got the right feeling for them as individuals and, and what makes them happy to hopefully make them productive and to you know have a positive impact on the other stakeholders involved then um, anything particular that you're proud of or that you've seen some real success of or maybe you've done this time as opposed to the first couple of times as a result of, of learning from from previous roles yeah, so I think I think a lot of this, you know, it, it comes down to a few different aspects. So, you know, the first one is is really really getting to know people in your team is something that that perhaps uh, is undervalued in a lot of other organisations. And 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 I think you know what I've what I've learned whilst working at Intuit is that that's something that's role modelled by everybody we work with. And I think you know an example of that might be so some of our uh, you know since we've gone remote, some of our kind of team meetings that I have with with my engineering teams. Actually, we'll spend a lot of the meeting really just getting to know each other. So we've done, you know, things like, hey, come with your background set to be the first single that you bought when you were young. And let's, let's learn a bit about your background there. Uh, the very first meeting, we asked each person to show them around their, their virtual environment, because frankly, we're going to see you with the same background for quite a long time. Hey, tell, you know, tell us a little bit where that is. Are you in a bedroom? Are you, you know, do you have to work in your living room? Are you likely to have kids and dogs potentially running past in the background, but make that, you know, almost make that normal and don't make that something that's kind of like, oh, hey, no, you know, I've got to apologize for these pets coming around. It's not, it's, it's just life. You know, you're, you're, you're at home and, and, and frankly not in a, a normal working from home condition. So let's celebrate that and let's kind of see what's, see what's there. So I think really it's been, you know, it's been great to get to know people a lot better and understand them. And I think that, you know, that element of, I guess, the, the kind of psychological safety that comes from being able to open up to each other is something that I'm keen to, to kind of promote in teams. And, you know, certainly has, has, has been something I've learned into it and, and, you know, certainly hasn't been something that every organization I've worked for has kind of you know, followed the same way. And, and whether it's either recently with bringing new people into that team in a virtual environment or, um, or more broadly, because I think that um, it'd be interesting to understand bringing new people into that environment than actually how you 
how you've worked through that previously. I think if I look at our, our clients over recent months, then there's some that haven't been in a position at all to hire because the whole world has changed. There's been others that once they've got through the operational chaos of getting their current team working, and actually they've, they've maybe made more of a deliberate effort to, to get to know them in ways they didn't do before, that's worked really well. They've perhaps been reticent to bring on board new people because of a fear as how you embed people into that culture when they're not part of the existing team. I don't know what you've seen recently or more broadly around bringing new people and onboarding them into that what sounds like a really strong culture and strong way of working. Sure. Yeah. So I think I think where we can perhaps talk through, you know, we we started a um, um, we we had a summer internship lined up pre-COVID, and and you know it was our we made that decision that it was still something we really wanted to go ahead with. But we made that decision relatively early, um, you know, even before we knew that, that kind of we might be working from home this long, that we were going to make it a remote kind of uh, summer internship because we really didn't want um, the students who were coming in to really have to start thinking about things like, hey, where am I going to live? How's that all going to work in COVID? Um, you know, what's going to go on here? So we just said, hey, look, you know, it's going to be remote first. We're going to do that. So we've recently welomed two, um, two interns, Petra and Usman, into our, uh, into our engineering teams in the UK. Um, and I think, you know, what, what I've kind of learned through that, that onboarding is spending that time with people in the same way you would do in the office is, is really valuable. Spend that time to explain things, but then spending that time to get to know people. So, you know, my first one-to-one with, uh, with Petra, we were, we were chatting about, you know, I want to know about her background. I want to know what, what motivates her, what brought her here. Tell me about kind of a course. You want to know about those things that really make that person that person. And uh, I think, you know, the, probably the amount of conversations we have are, are smaller because you don't get those, you know, quick conversations when you're making a cup of tea in the kitchen or you're just, you know, walking past somebody in the corridor and say hi. So in many ways, I've, I guess I've tried to make those conversations more deliberate and, and, and kind of um, really try to, yeah, really try to understand people, what their motivations are and, and kind of what they're enjoying. You know, it seems to be working so far. You know, we brought, we, we do have a very strong culture in our teams of working as, small scrum teams so you know each one of our teams in, in intro it's probably around about kind of six or seven people you know we're looking at somewhere around four engineers a product manager a designer and then probably an analyst um and really those teams are the um the bubbles for want of a better word that are going to be working really closely together so they spend that time often working the way they want to whether that's frequent kind of video calls whether that's set, you know meetings at certain times of the day so really, in many ways, we've created these smaller cultures. And then it's about bringing together those smaller cultures into the, you know, the bigger aspects. So we then do um, kind of, I get one of a better words, kind of a scrum of scrums or a, a coordination session where we bring people together to kind of share ideas across. Um, but yeah, the internship so far gone pretty well. I think, you know, the, the feedback from interns has been, has been good. They've enjoyed um, the closeness. They enjoyed the kind of deeper conversations that they've got into. Um, we're, you know, we're onboarding, we're actually looking to onboard with a, uh, you know, to bring in some um, uh, consultancy in the next couple of months. And, and so we're working through that onboarding at the moment. And I think then we'll have probably four or five people joining the team at a, a single point in time. So we'll learn a little bit more about bulk onboarding at that point. But really, we tried to do the same things, break it down into small teams, um, get them to know that person really well, and then um, you know, welcome that person on board. Brilliant. And I think it's, it's one of the key points of picking out there is to is to plan the stuff that maybe could happen incidentally in the office. Uh, and I think and it's also brilliant to hear that um, that it's been junior people that you've still been comfortable being in that environment. Again, thinking about the wider market. I know there's been you know a lot of support announced by the Chancellor this week for bringing young people in the entry level yep. roles because that's definitely where I've seen um, 
a much bigger impact is actually if you've got a chief technology officer or a senior developer, there's probably a bit more confidence around, you still need to get to know them, but actually their productivity, the support they need is, is probably quite different than someone at the entry level. So it's good that you've been able to do that um, with, with people to still give them the opportunity to, to learn as you'd hope from a, an internship. Um, yeah. In terms of how you, how you're leading the team into it and comparing that, contrasting that to the previous environment, then um, what's different about doing it as part of a, a much bigger business as opposed to you know, do, doing it where you're, you're perhaps seeing much uh, of the, the fuller picture in a, in a smaller or a scaling organisation? Yeah, so I think definitely, you know, my, my role is, first of all, very different. So, um, you know, my, my role in, in previous roles when you've been the only technology team and you've kind of been ahead of engineering of that is, is so much broader in many senses, you know, you need to be caring about everything from the infrastructure you're running on to the uh, build processes you're using to the, you know, the actual code your, your kind of engineers are writing. And, and here, probably it's a little bit narrower. So the, the predominance of the role is mainly around building out the features on top of our kind of existing internet platforms. So, you know, we don't have to worry too much about, hey, how are we going to deploy this stuff? Is there already kind of deployment pipeline set up? Is this going to kind of get out there? That's all stuff that uh, a lot of our kind of platform team has built out and we've gotten lucky to have a, a very great kind of platform team there that's built a very nice paved road as we call it to get to uh, to get to production so that's that's kind of one of the things that, that that isn't quite so much required the second thing is probably around um coordination so you know a lot a, a bigger piece of my role is building those relationships with the important teams that we work with and then helping to coordinate the things that need to need to go out so you know, if we're working on, on larger projects, that's probably contributing to work that's already been done in other teams around the globe. How can we make sure that we're working on the things in the right order? How can we make sure that we're not stepping on each other's toes? How can we make sure that each team's got the right autonomy? So that's something that, that, is, that is quite different. So I'd say, you know, a lot of my, a lot of that time that I spend building those relationships, you know, previously would have been flying out to our US office, spending time with people on a, on a relatively regular basis to, to build those relationships now is clearly uh, clearly doing it by zoom instead yeah okay um and if you're we've talked about a little bit from what you've seen you know change over the last two or three months when obviously you know covid's been around um are there other things that we haven't maybe touched on that you've learned about the business the people over the last couple of months that it's valuable to share yeah certainly so i think a few things so um i guess the first one from from an internship perspective is we you know we've learned we can go remote very quickly um, which, you know, clearly most organizations didn't think that that was, was kind of easily possible. I think, you know, technology was relatively simple. I think the areas of our business that were a little bit more challenging, um, you know, sales a little bit more challenging, but then the, probably the most challenging is, is our customer success teams. Um, you know, we did work with a partner on customer success and we managed to, with that partner, get our success, customer success teams probably working from home within about 72 hours, which, you know, if anybody had kind of said three months before, is that possible? everybody would have been saying that. So I think that's, you know, something that's worth, uh, worth kind of reflecting on. Um, I think we've also learned that, that, that kind of moving remote is the easy part. Really moving back to the office and how we get back to that, that kind of, you know, future normal or new normal is probably the more difficult part. Um, it was relatively easy to shut everything down. It was relatively easy to bring everybody out here, but now it's a much more complex task, especially as uh, a global company, lots of our offices are in different places, different situations, different points in the COVID outbreaks. So it does, um, you know, it does make that a very difficult task for us to do. So it's something we're spending a lot of time thinking about. Um, it's something we're not rushing back into because ultimately, 
the business is running remotely. So there's no, you know, there's no kind of immediate rush that if we don't do something by a certain point, um, you know, we, we fall off the edge of a cliff to a certain extent. Um, so I think that's, you know, something that we're, we're taking very seriously and taking the time, the time out for. I think, you know, just accepting, um, as I said earlier, this isn't normal. There's other things in people's lives that are stopping this from being normal working from home. The biggest piece we are seeing and the biggest bit of feedback we get from our teams is an, is an inability to shut off and an inability to stop thinking about work and to, to kind of split work and life. So, you know, something we're working very heavily with, the, with our leaders on is, you know, how do we make sure that we, um, we stop people from reaching that point of burnout? And I think that's made you know, even more difficult by the fact that clearly most, most people love to spend their holiday from work going on holiday. And until now, it's not really been possible for people to go on holiday. So, you know, role modeling that, you know, I took a week off uh, about three weeks ago. Um, I didn't go anywhere, but it was great to kind of take that time off from the office, decompress, think about things a little bit more. And so encouraging people to do that is, is something that's important because, um, People can't go for that period of time without those breaks. And it has been an extra stressful time on top of work. Life's been stressful. So we need to make sure we get that, we get that time. I think one, um, you know, one interesting thing that we've, we've learned is, um, you know, we measure a lot of kind of customer metrics to help us understand the sentiment in the market. So things like NPS surveys, net promoter score surveys. And I think an interesting finding has been that, you know, in general, NPS across all organizations appears to have dropped. And it, it's, it's, I guess it's quite interesting that these, these kind of, uh, this data changes, you know, really based on the sentiment of the nation, because it's probably a more, you know, a more negative nation overall. And actually, as we start to see people coming out of lockdown, we've seen more positive routes in some of these, in some of this data as well. So it, it's, it's quite interesting to see that sentiment played out in some of those business metrics. And, you know, us seeing a a drop in NPS, um, you know, we were seeing similar ones or more in our competitors. It was really interesting to see that, that, kind, of, uh, that kind of balance. Um, but I think overall, you know, Intuit's learned that, that we have some kind of core business goals for the future, um, some core problems that we know how customers have. And really what it's taught us is that we were, you know, we're on the right path with those and actually things have just become even more important. To, uh, to kind of fulfill those goals because people still need to be able to, for our small businesses, get customers, you know, get paid, pay their workers, be compliant and get their work done. You know, some of the kind of tasks that we look at, that, that hasn't changed. It's just become even more important that we can help people to do that. Yeah, there must be quite a, an interesting kind of comparison between actually what you see at Intuit and the scale of the business versus actually what you see with customers who clearly have a very different look and feel in terms of their their size and stature um, and I think going back to one of your earlier points there around the, the return to work that's definitely something that I from the other business leaders that I talk to I see people kind of um, wrestling with uh, like you kind of touched on when when we came into lockdown there was a, you know there was an urgent necessity to drive the change within the next 48 or 72 hours we need to be doing this otherwise the business you know is, is not going to be there um, whereas actually where there's clearly a lot more choice around returning to work and some people will be back in the office now, others will be saying, you know, we talked last week, I think, about some of the bigger tech companies, you know, Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, who are saying, well, we're not going to bring people back to the office for the foreseeable, or maybe not at all. Um, and there's clearly a lot more choice there. In terms of, you know, 
we've talked before about the very strong kind of inclusive culture into it. So how much is that um, is is picking up on the feelings of your team and reacting to that um, and how much is kind of talking to other people in the business to see what's works well from them and, and sharing the lessons there. Yeah, so I think I think a lot of it. I mean, just to give some some context on perhaps our previous conversations. So we we we've talked a lot about um, so Intuit has a way of of working which we call design for delight, which is this idea of this is how we this is how we work out what uh, problems to solve um, and how to put solutions in place for them. And really, the you know design for delight is a relatively simple framework, and it kind of has three different principles. Uh, first principle is deep customer empathy. So really understand the customer, really understand the problems they're going through. Then we go through kind of what you might class as a brainstorming session. So we, we call it go broad to go narrow. So really think about all those different ideas and then narrow that down. And then the third kind of principle is around um, deep, uh, you know, quick experimentation. And um, then learning from that, you then feed that back into the next set of learnings. And, you know, it's an iterative process that kind of goes round, round, and round, and round. Now, we, we use this process with everything we do from external customer-facing functionality, but also internal-facing functionality. So whenever we want to make a change or whenever we want to do something, um, we will do that using the D4D process. So we do a lot of um, talking to employees, asking for feedback, and trying to work out what their views of things are before making any change. So a lot of what we've been doing here and a lot of the things we've, we've kind of transformed into from a, from a remote working perspective, we've done, you know, we might have done that quickly in the first 48 hours, but then we've gone back and we said, hey, give us some feedback, really let us understand what's working. So a good example of that would be, you know, we have a, um, we have a weekly all hands with the whole UK organizations. That's about somewhere in the region of kind of 250 uh, people. And, um, you know, we've really asked people for a lot of feedback on is that useful because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the best practice in remote working suggests that more frequent communication is going to be something that, that kind of is, um, uh, is important to making sure people are aligned, to making sure people know what's going on, to making sure they can kind of feel comfortable and confident. So we've, we've kind of continued that, you know, that weekly all hands. We've heard really great feedback from people that it's working. You know, we've heard a few things like, hey, look, we just need to vary the, the, vary the, um, the kind of style of it or things like that. But it's just, you know, just something that we've kind of taken on board from, from that regard. So. I think that you know the piece we've we've learned is really do ask those questions, really do get that feedback from people. Um, you know, interestingly, that feedback wouldn't work if we didn't create an environment where that feedback was welcomed, it was listened to, and something was done. Because you know, that I, I'm sure we all know of situations where somebody's asked you for feedback and really they have no intention of taking on board that feedback and no intention of listening. So we you have to create that culture where people really see that the feedback that they're, they're kind of giving is listened to and something happens from it. Yeah, and, and, and something positive, even if it's not necessarily what they want, but somebody's definitely acknowledged it and, 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 and actioned it in some way. Yeah, your earlier comment around um, psychological safety and, and making sure that they, can, they, they feel that they can talk up and that they've got you know, that inclusive culture where they can contribute, but also where they can see it's meaningful contributions and then, you know, rather than a token contribution. Yeah. Uh, 100% I'd agree with that. Um, if you're, so it, going through that process, clearly there's a lot of answers to a lot of questions that are, that are yet to come out, I guess, in looking to the future. But if you are thinking about how you, you work with your people, either directly or more broadly, what you see across the business, then um, are there key things you think are going to be different in the future about the way you're working with the team or the way that you progress people or, or anything around the people strategy? 
Yeah, so I think I think um, in general, the, 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 I think definitely there will be things that are different, but the jury's out exactly what what that will be because you know, especially we're we're, we're certainly taking our time to work that out. Um, you mentioned earlier things like the you know the announcements from Twitter and Facebook. Um, every company moves at its own pace, and I think we we've decided that we can take that time to do that, and so we'll we'll kind of you know we'll kind of make that happen. I think the interesting thing for me is. Um, you know, we, we've done it with interns, but when we, when we hire our first permanent person without them ever coming into the office and ever meeting them, that will be something quite different. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite open to what the feelings will be about doing that because clearly we've not done it before. Clearly we don't know what it will happen. Clearly we're used to meeting people. And I think there's a, you know, there's a big human bonding experience that comes from seeing somebody in the office, being able to show them around. I think we've also, you know, we've also, um, one of the things that's been a great, um, uh, I guess, helper in terms of employing people is that we've always had a great office that we can bring people to and show them around. So interestingly, you know, what happens now? We don't have a great office, and their office is their, you know, their spare bedroom or their uh, their living room table. That's an interesting, you know, interesting different um, kind of dynamic. I think I've, you know, personally, I've really enjoyed the the kind of remote working. I've, I, you know, I'm a I'm a London commuter, so I don't miss the two hours plus a day I spend on underground trains crammed up with thousands of people. So I'm, you know, I'm really keen for us to, to kind of come up with good solutions that, that, that really meet the needs of as many people as possible. Because I think, I think that's where the crux of the problem comes from and, and where perhaps some of the companies that have, have made announcements already are getting a little bit of the flack is there is a bit of a, you know, there is, there is certainly, um, people who love the office, there's certainly people who don't love the office. There, you know, for a lot of people, um, we've done surveys around this, a lot of people that the kind of um, hybrid role of some office, some remote is the ideal kind of situation. But that also throws up some bigger questions because, you know, if you live, if you live within commutable distance of your office, but you don't do it on a, you know, every day, but some days, you're also still having to live in the more expensive places in general. You know, we, we are, uh, our offices in Victoria in central London. So, you're looking commuter belt or central London to, to kind of live that distance. So in some ways, that's, that's almost like the, the worst of both worlds because you're, you're having to live in a, an expensive area, um, pay more for your rent, perhaps not live where you want to live. And also then, you, you know, you, you have to commute once, you know, once in a while. So I'm, I'm really open to how that, how that changes things, really open to how we, how we kind of learn from that. But I think you have to, you have to think through that on a, on a bigger aspect. So I know, you know, I'm a big, um, I'm a big fan of listening to the, the the company Basecamp, who are probably one of the biggest, you know, biggest remote working proponents. I think, you know, often often an outspoken company and often one that kind of stands up for different things. And I'm not saying I would uh, agree with everything that's said by, uh, you know, by the by the kind of uh, the, the company. But remote working is something they've done for a long time and very well. Um, you know, things I've learned from from that are, you know, if you are going to have this more remote culture, you perhaps have to do more things like um, perhaps an, you know a week-long offsite on a regular basis, which means you bring people together. They do that socialising and bond building there, and then that can kind of carry through to those those remote relationships over time. Um, so I, I wouldn't want yeah you know, I wouldn't want to take a team to wholly remote and then not have those other things kind of come along with it. So I think you really got to you know work those out as you uh, as you go through. Um, I think you know, the other interesting thing for every individual is. Um, the first time you get a job as a, you know, a new job as a, um, a remote employee and you never visit the office, that's going to be strange for you as well. Because, uh, you know, most people are used to 
um, for want of a better word, that feeling you get when you walk into an office and you understand that, how can you still get that same feeling and understanding you're making the right decision when really all we've got is a, a Zoom conversation and a number of people in a Zoom room? Yeah, I think um, where so much of the culture of a business is intangible, you know, okay, fine, you, you, you may, some companies may address it by writing it on the walls, you know, but, but actually clearly it's not, you know, it's not literally what's written on the walls. It's what you, what you feel, what you see, the, you know, the, the, the things you pick up on over the first coffee or the first conversation you overhear that maybe you weren't meant to overhear yep. and actually kind of indicating the culture of the business. And I think for a lot of companies that we've seen kind of try and communicate that well, um, it has been a real challenge in a remote first environment. You know, actually, I think it involves a lot more touch points, perhaps from very deliberate conversations, like you mentioned with the interns, getting to know people um, and moving away from what skills have you got what role are you looking at? But actually, let's have a more of a, a get to know you exercise, you know, a virtual lunch or coffee that you might well do in a, in, a, in a physical environment that you do need to try and look at replicating, if not just, you know, automatically transferring into a, a virtual environment. I think that in a way, the companies that will probably find it simplest going forward will be the ones that either are remote only or go exactly back to the ways they were before. You know, I think there's I, don't, I can't really see the going back to exactly how it was before it was going to be successful for the companies who want to either retain the best talent or to bring on new talent. But I think the real challenge and the, like you say, it's got to fit the organisation rather than be driven by the wider world. But that, that hybrid way of working where, whether it's either, you know, speaking to some candidates recently who they might work part time. And actually, you know, if they're only now going into the office for half of that time, practical things like season ticket costs just don't really apply to them. So I think we'll obviously have to see a lot of businesses, not just those employing, but those kind of facilitating, whether it's office providers or travel providers, will have to kind of adapt to see how they can make it work. I think there'll be, um, clearly there'll be some businesses that, that lead the way, but I think there'll be some kind of fascinating lessons learned over the next few months as people start that return to work and, and think about the future of their people. If you're um, You've talked about potential new hires in the future. If you're thinking about actually partly reflecting on what you've seen in recent times, but also thinking about what the future of the business needs to look like, do you think there's any key skills or capabilities or values that you will emphasise more in the future than you perhaps would have said six months ago? Yeah, so I think, I think it's interesting. I think we, we already hire for very strong communicators, which, you know, in, in the technology world is, is uh, you know, is something that, that, increasingly has become important probably since you know people have moved to more of agile processes it's not about kind of uh the individual coder sat on their own building things in the corner it's much more about the kind of team working together i think where it perhaps might go is you know i think um interestingly writing is becoming more important when we're more remote so whether that's writing a slack message or helping to explain something to somebody whether that's writing a document that explains how something might work so i think there's there's an interesting piece for me which says should we be you know should we be looking more at people's kind of writing skills to understand how they put things across because that helps them to work a little bit more asynchronously which is you know better in this this kind of remote working remote working way i, I say aside from that i think it really is those those kind of communication skills we you know we we won't the cultural if you like um, hiring in terms of the people that we bring into to intro, I think you know that will still remain the same piece. We're still after the the right people who are going to fit the people who share that ethos around the people first organisation, um, and I think that will be relatively easy to continue doing. Um, 
but yeah, writing skills is the only one I can really think of that might be, uh, you know, that might be something we, uh, we suddenly think, hey, look, these people who can write these, these, you know, if they can, they can describe things in writing as well as they can vocally, then that's also a great, yeah, a great skill. On the um, on the cultural piece and, and understanding that making sure there's a value fit there between you know what's important to you and the business and, and, and that new hire coming in, then is there anything not necessarily you know um, in recent times but more broadly is there anything you've seen work particularly well to try and establish that value fit or to assess you know one of the things that I often see companies struggle with and I don't necessarily have a perfect solution to is you can do technical tests obviously on the, the key skills there's clearly a lot of psychometric tests and profiling out there but in terms of that cultural assessment and the values fit then what have you seen work well in your experience yes yeah, so a couple of things i think so the, so first of all I've, I've, i'm a big believer in in um essentially letting somebody who's interviewing meet as many people as possible from the team and i think you essentially then get more of a broad view of them rather than quite a narrow view you know you could interview one or two people and then that gives you a very narrow view of that that kind of person um that's great if you've got the right people interviewing, but then if you don't, you know, it could also kind of lead to more of these biases coming out, the unconscious biases. And I think that's you know, important we, we kind of get rid of that as well. So yeah, meet, meet more people. Um, we, we have a piece in, in Intuit specifically the way we, we call it out is we have a, what we call a team member in the, in the interview process. And that team member is essentially there as somebody who's outside um, your discipline. So normally in product, it's one of our product managers or our designers somebody who will work with that person, but isn't kind of testing them for technical skills, but will really be looking at, you know, at, at, at that side of things. And then I think it's how, you know, how you think about your, your interview process. So, um, you know, I, I've settled on a, you know, probably my, my first organization that, that we grew the team and we settled on an interview process that to be honest, is it hasn't changed greatly across, across um, the other two roles. And really that's, you know, starts with some technical work, but it also makes sure we get in a, um, I love to talk to people about the way they work. So are they going to fit culturally into the way we work? Can they deal with um, that collaborative culture, that pairing with people, that working in, a, in an agile environment where things do change? Is that, is that what they're used to? Is that what they thrive in? And then I normally finish off my, my interviews with more of a, um, a cultural and values understanding interview. So really asking open questions to people and seeing how they, how they respond to those with a broad set of people kind of listening in so you know that's the way the team members come in other things like that and that that tends to um you know i felt that that's often got the right balance between um you know clearly you can't know everything about somebody but if you kind of cover those different areas that's great for me hiring for just technical skills has never you know has never been something um we, we, we've kind of done and you know in the early days of my career i made a, a couple of mistakes around not testing technical skills enough but luckily i didn't go totally the opposite direction and just focus on the, on the tech skills we kind of get in a balance between those tech skills and then the uh, the kind of communication and softer skills that go around that yeah and it does seem so much more now that the technical skills is, is you know the table stakes and actually it's the the value side of things that is really going to make a difference the success of hires in the future um, i think you know definitely i've seen other companies work well in areas that you've mentioned there around the the interview process often making sure that expectations are set out really clearly before you even talk about a particular candidate or a particular role as to well how are we going to make the decision here i think can often help 
reduce bias from meeting a particular person that you identify with you know more warmly than the next person and having that kind of objectivity baked into the process and making sure that everybody's aligned within it but i really like the idea of, of bringing someone in who's who's not part of the team but clearly is is going to be an important part of working with that team to then um, they can't be assessing technical skills probably anywhere near as much as you might be or one of your lead developers would be so they only really have the, the values and the culture side of things to go on yeah yeah and we um we call out specifically for our interviews we call out um normally about four or five capabilities that we're looking for and we work that out with kind of the you know the the, the, the team and the interview panel who might do that and then we call out specifically two of our so we have kind of seven values at Intuit um, and we call out two of those that we're specifically going to focus on and then in the kind of debrief session afterwards we we actively talk about each of those areas so if if you like you know everybody gets to comment on those areas and everybody gets to kind of provide the evidence and the feedback against those areas um, so I think that's just been deliberate on including those aspects and it's not just like you get to the end of the interview and everybody goes yeah well I like them they were nice you know why why were they nice what did they meet you know what are you kind of judging that against um i think is you know being deliberate about that certainly helps you have more success yeah i think clearly kind of asking for the evidence there so taking the headline yeah yeah they were great but actually well why is that and let's bring that back to what we said was important at the outset and, and if that's changed fair enough but let's address that but assuming okay. it hasn't then let's go back to what we said to begin with and see yep. so i think there's been some some fascinating things that you know, clearly some things that have come to the fore in the last couple of months, but some stuff that you, you've talked about across your career. If you were then thinking about, um, I suppose, a, you know, a, a final key bit of advice to those that are looking to scale a tech business by hiring great talent, then it might be something you've already covered so far, but, but what's some key advice you would give to someone that's looking to, to scale a tech business and, and know they need to find great talent to do that? So I think, um you know, ultimately, it's probably that that kind of people focus, because the you know you, you see a lot of organisations that struggle to retain people past you know tech tech people past I don't know eighteen or twenty four months, and let's face it, it's a strong market out there, and there will always be recruiters reaching out to every single one of the engineers within your team, and happy people don't take calls from recruiters, so ultimately you, you got to kind of focus on getting that right and i think there's you know there's there's certain aspects of that which are in my mind tick boxes so you might say things like getting the salary right making sure you've got a good set of benefits that's competitive um that's that's a tick box element in my in my, in my mind you have to do that if you don't do that you, you're going to lose people because people are going to you know people are going to think about paying people more or they're going to think about you know leaving for for kind of monetary reasons but on top of that then creating that environment where people can do their best work, creating that environment where they can be authentic and be them real self is, is massively important. Um, you know, it was one of the reasons I joined Intuit was because that was the, um, the external feedback that was given around about Intuit from things like Glassdoor, from other places like that. And, um, you know, I, I went in with a, with a certain skepticism that everybody does in the kind of interview process. And I think it's a healthy skepticism, but then found that that was, you know that was true and certainly I, I i met people at intuit who'd been there for a long time if you like 10 years plus which is a long time i think in in you know in most people's careers and especially in the, the kind of tech world um and you know i think you have to fix that at root cause because otherwise what essentially happens is you want to scale your team you want to grow but you're losing people as quickly as you're growing 
So you're, you're trying to fight on both fronts. You're trying to grow things. You're trying to do things. And that puts even more pressure on the individuals who are still there. It can make things worse. So you've got to really tackle those root causes and make it a great place where people want to work. Um, so you don't have to fight, yeah, fight on both sides, keeping people and recruiting new people. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, much as I love clients coming to us that they want to recruit those roles, then often the issues that they're not facing are the retention issues that are causing them to need the hires. And you know, we've and obviously you contributed to our retention report previously, sharing stuff that helps keep good people. Um, and and definitely, you know, a lot of companies perhaps overlook the the value in halving their recruitment needs by keeping people an extra year or two longer, um, which you know, may be a bit harder than suddenly throwing a, a lot of new people into the mix, but it's clearly going to strengthen that business in the future. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point to, to finish on. So um, ben, I'm really grateful for you uh, sharing a bit about your world, inviting us into your, your home you know, and, uh, and, and helping people to, to get to know a bit more about what they could learn from you. So, uh, so thank you very much for sharing and uh, now I look forward to uh, talking to you again in the future. Perfect. Well, thanks, Alan. It's been great. Great talking to you, Steve.